0: welcome to the just fly performance podcast episode 66 today on the show i have stephen jones elite sports performance coach specializing in cricket and former dual sport professional athlete today's episode is brought to you by simply faster Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the Freelap Timing System, Gym Aware, Kbox, 1080 Sprint, and the Speedmat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The Freelap Timing System has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The Kbox and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to the podcast, episode 66. I'm your host, Joel Smith, excited to kick this episode off for everybody. Ah, uh, this one's a little bit different in, in an awesome way, uh, especially for all you U.S. listeners who have no idea what cricket and a fast bowl is. <laughs> fast bowling is. Uh, I have Stefan Jones. He is a fast bowling coach, sports performance specialist. Uh, I guess when you hear the term fast bowling coach, you just think skill coach, technical coach, someone who sits there in the cage and and gives athletes a cue or something and says do this or do that. But Stephen is is integrative. He's a strength coach. He's a skill coach. He was a professional athlete and this guy I'll tell you what I, I haven't met uh, anybody who has the integrative views that Stefan does in training athletes um, really quickly too if you don't if you're not familiar with the sport of cricket as I'm not like an expert in it that was one thing that I really liked in putting this whole podcast together was learning more about a different sport Cricket is the second or third most popular sport in the world so uh, for those of us who are buried in American football and basketball or even track and field, uh, which track is awesome, and no doubt, as well as the other sports. But um, it, it just learning more about cricket is, is a lot of fun, as well as learning like what uh, base human skills put together high performance in this sport and what can we learn from someone who has integrated the arts of strength training, uh, skill training, cueing, isometric training, all these integrative models from some of the pioneers of our field to produce great results with these athletes, how can we take these, these uh, general or basic um, and, and then complex, obviously, applications, how can we take these applications and take them towards what we are doing in our own sport? One of the coolest things I think, think Stefan does, actually, before I get any further, um, a little background on Stefan beyond the fact that he is a sports performance coach specializing in cricket fast bowling. Uh, he is, uh, was the last dual sport pro athlete in in the uk in terms of uh, cricket and rugby so that's kind of like I think kind of like bo jackson everyone's like oh bo jackson he played baseball he played football Um uh, everyone specializes now it's sad but uh, stefan was the last guy to do that in the uk and and with that just comes so much like you see and being a last dual sport and now you train specialists you start to see some of the faults that come from early specialization so that's a big thing we're going to talk on the show uh now though stefan is is training professionally training uh fast bowlers he is well known he has a a website cricketstrength.com his instagram channel is really cool in terms of seeing what he is doing and applying i'm going to throw those some of those in the show notes uh, so cricket fast bowling as well, that's one of the main things we're going to talk about today in terms of how do we train this, how do we integrate different ideas and concepts and train train this. Uh, but it's, it's kind of almost a mix, think if you will, of, of uh, baseball pitching, javelin throw, and even sprinting. And so there's these skills that are rolled together, a very athletic, dynamic movement that's very technical. And all sports are technical, but especially uh, the the more you hear Stefan talk about this, you'll realize that um, just in in kind of putting together this. Well, let's see: general strength and specific strength, and sport coaching and strength coaching. Stefan puts it all together, and. You can learn, regardless of what the sport you coach is, you can learn a lot from this. If you are a fan of cricket sports performance or cricket, I can't imagine that there's another podcast episode out there that's going to be as heavy in terms of uh, how elite athletes are being trained well. Uh, amazing stuff. Stefan is a great coach, and I just love listening to great coaches regardless of the exact median. So anyways, let's, uh, let's cut to the chase. Let's get to the show, uh, episode 66 with Stefan Jones. Stefan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here today.
1: Hi, uh, it's my pleasure. It's uh, it's quite exciting for me as as just a cricket coach that you wouldn't have heard of over there, and it's um, it's an honor. I know that some of the guys that you get on there, and it's a, it's a big opportunity for me.
0: Well, I'm I'm certainly excited to have you. I'm excited to learn from you. I think that we learn. We always learn so much uh, just from getting into other sports, and then the the commonalities that make it all that make it all tick, and then the the motor learning and training ideals behind it. Uh, could you, for those of you who uh, people out there who might not know who you are, you know all the all the football the football following uh, people over here in America who might not know too much about cricket, which I suppose is most of it, it's me as well. Uh, So could you give us a little bit about your background, where you've been as an athlete and how you got into coaching, where you are now?
1: Okay, cool. Um, So I was um, a junior international rugby player and a cricketer. Uh, I then went on to be the last dual professional sportsman in this country. I played rugby and cricket professionally. Um, so I went to Loughborough University as well which is where I got into sports science uh, I then went to Cambridge University to get my blues uh, where I taught to be a physical education teacher um, and then sort of professional sport fell in my lap really uh, it was just one of these things in, in this country it's a winter sport and a summer sport and I did them both and I happened to be quite, quite good at them well alright I suppose mm-hmm. uh, and then I did professional rugby for two years with cricket and then I retired from rugby it was just, it was just getting a bit hard uh, it was just I, I remember playing a game uh, for Somerset where I played uh, I bowled 20 overs which is a lot of deliveries and a lot of force and a lot of strain on the body uh, in one day then I had to drive up to do a rugby full contact session for Bristol And then go on then to play in the Oval in London, play a game of cricket. So, it was at that stage where I thought I was just becoming a bit of a jack of all trades and a master of none, and I wasn't really doing justice to myself in each of the sports uh, because uh, you you sort of with with cricket being highly coordinative. and relying on every single part of your body. If I was to have a knock in my shoulder when tackling, well, that's me not able to bowl the next day. So decisions to be made. I retired from professional cricket with Derbyshire, where I was assistant coach as well, in 2010. I then took over the post at the private school called Wellington School in Somerset, where I'm now director of sport. Uh, I've revamped the whole physical education syllabus, so it's now heavily focused on physical literacy and emotional well-being we actually do a theory lessons in our physical education which is now called well-being lessons which is revolutionary uh, we heart rate monitor we uh, track activities very much data-based uh, everything i do it has to be uh, i'm a systems guy a coach and i like my data so um, I like facts and figures to prove the worth of whatever I'm doing. And I've also now become a consultant fast bowling coach around the world. I coached in the Big Bash for the Hobart Hurricanes. I do various workshops around the world, from Canada to India. Just, uh, well, I call the workshops the science of fast bowling. Uh, and I'm just trying to get people in the world to realize that actually you can't outrun science and physics and we need. Technique underpins everything, and that's why I'm it's actually opposite to what I was as a bowler, as a fast bowler, which is my main skill in cricket. I was very much uh, lift weights, improve my numbers, improve my deadlift, bench, squat, that sort of stuff. Uh, that sort of guy, and when coaches try to change my technique, I wasn't very open to it, but I've actually now turned a I'm a portrait-turned-gamekeeper as such, where I'm very much a technique guy because you can't outrun a poor technique. It will catch up with you somewhere on the line. Maybe not now. Maybe your biomotor qualities will allow you to be quite good now. But then at some stage, it will catch up with you because that kinetic chain uh, will break down somewhere. So it's um, I'm excited where I am on my journey to become well uh, yeah I'll be honest to become the best bowling coach in the world uh, I feel I'm getting there but I'm still learning from guys like yourself James Smith uh, there's some great names out there that um, I read every day you know Stuart Mcmillan Paff these guys Franz Bosch um, so it's I love helping I love helping young kids I help love helping fastest bowlers in the world Um so that's why we ultimately do the job, isn't it, to make a difference?
0: Yeah, no doubt. I, it's just it's really cool to hear all the all the places you've been how you got to where you are. It reminds me a little bit, and, and I think we were talking about this uh, la- last time or we were talking earlier about uh, how there's not many multi-sport athletes anymore. Like you're one of the kind of the last ones who kind of did that rugby cricket cricket duo, right?
1: Yeah, it's um. It is a worrying state from from my point of view is that I know over here, and I think it's the same over there, but correct me if I'm wrong, is that if you are actually excelling or showing potential in one sport, you will have to drop everything else and just do that. And I just think we're building building fragile athletes, fragile bowlers in my case, where um, they've not developed any robustness or any athleticism, um, it's just very much they're all right in a safe environment. They're very much in a, uh, all right in a control environment where it's indoor, no pressure, no fatigue, because uh, the volume of uh, work is regulated by uh, a cricket board. So actually they can't go over that or there's uh, consequences. So it's, um, it's very much uh, I go on about building anti-fragile bowlers and and I worry that having uh, young athletes, 15, 16, unable to do other sports, it is not conducive to building better athletes. Because ultimately, my process is quite simple. You build the athlete, then you build the bowler after it. And you, that building a bowler after that foundation isn't uh, going to be a success if there's no athletic qualities being built uh, early doors. Because... Times have changed, as you know. Times have changed. When I when I grew up, and it's not very, it's not a back in my old days sort of chat. But we used to go, we used to go out on the field or on the road. I used to practice. I used to run in and bowl a ball, which is like a pitch in baseball, but with the run up uh, on a concrete against uh, a road sign. I used to do that for an hour. Then I used to go down the field, kick the ball around. Uh, go walking, but now the younger generations—they're they're constantly uh, sat at the computer or on their phone, or their work is regulated. Their academic pressures increase, so the whole, the whole, so the whole system is now not conducive to building better athletes. And it's actually we need to go the opposite now because um, young kids are not as fit or uh, not doing as much work. As they used to, we probably need to push them a bit harder in training and be a bit smarter with what we're doing. Um, so it is a worrying trend, and I know it's the same over in the U.S., isn't it? I'd imagine when someone has shows potential in American football, that's it. i <laughs> oh, yeah. Not doing any business to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's bad over here. It's really bad over here. And and um, i actually I was I'm, it was interesting to me how you were talking about you guys are having the same problems over there, and I wonder if that's just you know, maybe that's just how the nature of sport is, kind of unfolding in a negative way, obviously, uh, universally for for some reason. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm um, I'm actually part of a a, a seminar, kind of. or I speak at a seminar often here in uh, the United States, where it's uh, that you know about track and football and trying to blend the two together because there's so many there's a lot of football players who think they're going to get better in, and be a better college prospect if they only play football year round. They don't do track in the fall because they need to play you know fall ball and more football but in the reality the players that get recruited are the the fast guys the guys who a lot of the guys who had really good track and field times and um what you were saying about uh the rugby and cricket too right it's almost like you're the um the british bo jackson in a way right like he was one of the last or if not the last um great multi-sport athlete uh to really do well at to and many people say he's the greatest athlete of all time and and so much of that coming out of like um, even like the 80s and 90s and then obviously going – and this is a kind of almost a personal interest of mine. Going back at even the 60s when these guys like uh, – there was a John Havlicek in the and National Basketball Association uh, would, would play basketball and then go do baseball. He would always say, you know, I have to get out of shape to go do baseball or something. But uh, it's uh, it's an interest of mine.
1: I was very fortunate. Um, and I also did it differently. It, it, is, um, it, it is totally different to what currently goes on, and I'm not saying it is the right way, and I happen to be doing it. But I didn't start playing sport till I was 13, competitively. So I used to go around, and, and they say you are a product of your environment. So I used to go around and watch my father coach. He was a rugby coach. So I used to sit in change rooms and listen to him talk listen to the dynamics of how he led uh, rugby players. Then I used to go and watch him play cricket. When he was batting or fielding uh, the game itself, I used to be in the nets, practicing bowling. And then it came a time when I was about 14 where a couple of the players just went, shouldn't you be playing now? And I thought, oh, okay, I'll just go play for a team. And that was it. So I worry for young children who who are forced to play, probably not the right word, but they are, um, their parents pressurise them into playing competitive sport too early. We need to let these kids be kids, let them jump around, let them roll around, let them have a knock on the knee in a rugby tackle, let them have you know, a sore ankle when they're bowling, or they need to understand that life is full of knocks and, and grazes, and it's how you come back from it, and Though all those knocks add up and make you a more robust and anti-fragile athlete, in my opinion. So I'm not saying it's the right way, but I didn't... My career, I took about a 1,000 wickets, I think, over my career. But the time I I played, which was 20 years professional, the average age now for a fast bowler is probably five years career. I, I did it for 20. But because it was built on a foundation of... Just been, you know, I was out training rugby at nine o'clock at night in a howling gale, in the rain, cold. Uh, and then we used to go home, and I remember my mum cooking omelettes. But after, before we going to bed, and so when I played cricket, it was, it was a walk in the park. And I have a, a saying here, you know, train hard, play easy, and that's how <laughs> I sort of lived my sport really. You're listening to the
0: Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. I know, uh, uh and I've uh, rugby isn't quite as common over here. I've I've played it once myself, but it's kind of the idea of. I've even even if you go in the research, it reminds me a little bit of like when they have um, athletes on a on a bike or an ergometer and they're they're doing a tough workout and they have to solve math problems when they do it. Uh, yeah. and they take the math problems away later like they do better compared to other groups because their their brain had to process like to process more it was like the the rate of perceived exertion was higher in training and they were able to uh when you took that away then they, they could just compete they they did better it's it, interesting yeah. to me and an interesting kind of interesting what you were saying
1: yeah it's uh brain is a wonderful thing uh, and that's why in those early days when we uh, brain plasticity is at its highest. We need to expose these kids to as much uh, different skills and different environments, different situations as possible. We can't be building robots in whatever sports we're doing because ultimately we're setting them up to failure somewhere along the line. We might take a tap on the back or well done if they get signed for one year, but ultimately, you know, they're going to they're gonna come up short and sport, professional sport for me is a career so that you're talking 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, one year professor sport. That's not a career. That's yeah. the, so, and there's a lot of those are floating around at the minute in whatever sport.
0: Yeah. 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 And especially with, yeah, like what's happening, uh, I've been happening with the national basketball association, all those athletes who are early specializers coming in and getting hurt, uh, within a season or two. is was just astounding. I, uh, yeah. So I'd like to get into some of the questions we were uh, looking to get into today, Stefan. And then, uh, but before we do, actually, could you just talk a little bit about? And, and this is interesting to me because I was a—I played baseball growing up. I was a javelin thrower in college. Uh, could you talk a little bit about some of the physical capacities required in, in fast bowling?
1: Well, it is—it is unique. It, it is uh, a unique. Uh, it's it's a closed skill, but within a team uh, open environment. So lots of things, lots of variables. But you do the same thing. You run in a straight line. So bowling is about momentum, torque, and impulse in the upper body. Um, for within that, then uh, lots of variables. You know, fatigue sets in. So a delivery will last about uh, five seconds. That's one ball and then you walk back and you do that again six times that's one over you have 2 minutes rest where you go and field and then you do that again you could do that up to 20 times a day four days a week so it's it's a unique unique skill to train for which is why i get excited about it really so uh, in terms of obviously basic strength general strength is really important but I think, and I know you agree with me, that there is a trend in SSEs in the world to overemphasise general prep training, general strength. For me, um, it's a given. You have to be strong to play sports. It's not something we should be uh, pinning our hats on uh, because, for example, for, for, uh, for a delivery, a delivery would take from back foot contact to front foot contact, it'll be around 0.14 seconds. From front foot contact to release, but 0.12 seconds. So, you know, there's no, no amount of training, squat, deadlift, or whatever is going to replicate that. So you have, yeah, I, I get it. It's that's a given for me. I don't shout a lot about it, but general strength, functional hypertrophy, foundational hypertrophy. Yes, yada yada. I get that. Okay. But what are you doing that's going to transfer that to on the field? And as you can probably tell, I get quite passionate about this, is that until s and C's in sport, and um, there's a lot out there who do it well and do it better than me in different sports and are more knowledgeable, I get that. But until a strength and conditioning coach or a preparation coach, however you want to call them, are judged on on on-field performances, not... I call them the gym, the whiteboard syndrome, and not judged on how much they improve a deadlift or a squat or bench press. Sports performance in cricket, anyway, is not going to, they're not going to increase because uh, they don't have to. They they answer to the whiteboard and they've improved. So strength is important to it. But for me, it's about reactivity and elastic ability. And that's why uh, Franz Bosch's stuff resonates brilliant with me his uh utilizing the reflexes uh which we i'm sure we'll go into in a minute but cricket is more about technique and coordination than anything else uh and that's why you can get a bowler as strong as you want to but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to bowl quicker there's loads of uh biomotor qualities that need to be Uh, Trained for bowling, you know, from oxidative glycolytic, uh, speed work, strength work, repeated power, speed. There's loads; those are all needed. They're all needed. You need to be really explosive. uh, 120 times a day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's so it's really unique.
0: Yeah, the uh, yeah, and watching. uh, I I think you had sent me some videos of of some uh, fast bowlers before, and to me, it looked like. Um, it's almost like a mix between javelin and baseball. And, and you were saying, uh, it, from what you were saying, it sounds like the fast bowlers are actually throwing a lot more than American baseball players. And is that because of maybe the the overhead more the, the it's almost more of an overhead motion of the arm, like a little bit less stress on the elbow or something like that, that allows uh, more pitches in a in a shorter time frame.
1: No, it, well, it is it is the game, isn't it? So as a professional cricketer. I'm expected to play five days a week. Uh, and then sort of in in a, in a day, you could be running 2,000 meters uh, and bowling, uh, what, 120 balls with eight times your body weight going through front foot contact and four or five on back foot contact. Um, so it's it's a unique sport to train. Uh, but it is the sport. So javelin is the the closest to it. But with javelin, obviously you have to you have to stop before the front line. Whereas bowling, you can go through, you can follow through, and uh, and slow down gradually. And the tra- trajectory of the cricket ball, you go down with the cricket ball, not up. But the forces are very similar. I train uh, very similar to a javelin thrower. But the javelin thrower would throw and then have a, a long rest with me. Uh, where we need to repeat it, repeat it. But my my philosophy on it, and, and based on my my system, is about finding uh, limiting factors. But it's so. From my point of view, I want speed. That's all I want. I want to develop a bowler who can bowl one ball at ninety miles per hour. Then I will try and get them to bowl at uh, ninety miles per hour six times. What's happening in the world at the minute is that bowlers, coaches, and bowlers and S and Cs are so infatuated with work capacity and conditioning that because uh, if someone's if a bowler sick on the floor or whatever, it means that they worked hard. We're actually we're building uh, fast bowlers who who bowl average of 80 miles per hour. That they, they they maintain that speed probably longer than in the olden days, but we haven't got a lot of 90 miles per hour anymore. And it's, there's a lot of factors for that. There's a lot of environmental organismic, organismic and task constraints that go on with cricket. um, That causes that. But my main thing is speed and speed can be trained that that's what people forget. Speed can be trained. Uh, It's about uh, just training the CNS. That that's what I do in what whatever whatever coaching method I do it's it's about training it's less about muscles more about the nervous system.
0: So Stefan, uh, a question I wanted to ask you as the usage of isometrics. And now I I know you use them uh, in your practice with your uh, fast bowlers, cricket players. Could you tell me a little about a little bit about how and why you're utilizing this training method?
1: Uh, yeah, it's. Um... It's just something that um, I've always done, actually. Uh, When I started to play, uh, I used isometrics back in the early 2000s. Christian Thibodeau was a big follower of his. uh, And I used it as a strength strength tool, and I had huge results in it. Um, So what I've done, and actually, like most of the stuff recently, everything that I've read from Franz Bosch, and I Alex Alex's Natera's work actually reaffirms that I was on the right track, which is which is always a good thing. Yeah. So, uh, isometrics, I- as we know, technique and fast bowling is about coordination and technique is every- is everything is very much uh, neurally driven. It's all about the CNS, uh, and for me, the the best method of uh, potentiating and actually uh, training the CNS is isometrics, and and it forms. Uh, the skill first part of my skill stability model. So I've got three stages, uh, static skill stability, dynamic skill stability, and ballistic skill stability. Um, And and all of them actually uh, are in partnership as such with the stages of learning, so, uh, unskilled, and unconscious, unskilled, conscious, skilled, conscious, skilled, unconscious, obviously. Uh, and the this isometrics actually sit in really uh, an important part uh, between skilled, conscious and skilled, unconscious because there uh, I'm aware that bowlers begin to drop out because they actually just have to think about it. And as we know, motor learning, uh, the best thing we need to do is actually get them not to think about it. Uh, and isometrics uh, allows that to happen because I'm grooving the technique. Uh, the only thing they have to worry about is pushing down or holding a position and they act. They recruit uh, 5% more muscle fibers. So big bang for the buck. Uh, so they hold the base position. Uh, so it's either... Yielding isometrics, uh, and then after the after yielding isometrics, where they actually hold the base, so it's a it's a block and drop position. So the I groove the technique, so the technique is there. They don't have to worry about it. They're doing it. The well, the, co- the drill itself is doing the coaching for them, uh, and and then after that, I can add in some uh, variability with some bands, some chaos. Uh, And then from there, we go to overcoming isometrics, which they actually, I've actually put a couple of clips online. They actually push against the pin or they push against partners. Again, the key point being grooving that technique uh, without sort of thinking about it, but actually putting as much force through the floor as possible, especially on the front foot. Where Because of the angled box, they're pushing through the heel. And with the angle of the box, the the, the knee can't drop forward. Uh, and then from there, then I actually get into a bit more, uh, it's a bit more stressful. It's functional isometrics, but it's actually a concentric portion to it. Uh, so, and then I add weight onto the first pin so they can go up to about 100 kilograms. And then they push against the second pin. Um, so it, it's it's a huge, and it's only new, I've only just begun to put it into my uh, training, and the results results are phenomenal, really. And um, I actually did a session this morning, which was, uh, what was it? It was overcoming drop and block isometrics, uh, supersetted with medicine ball shock pass. They did 10 sets, uh, and then we did some rotator cuff work, and that was it highly specific and highly relevant to fast bowlers um, so that the so our isometrics form uh, stage one of my skill stability from there then we will put a dynamic component into it but again the, the base is locked so uh, the actual drill is the subconscious coach and the only thing they have to do, I provide knowledge of results. So so they either uh, throw a medicine ball, a ballistic ball, a velocity-based training, or they push down on the full force plate. So they've got external feedback. That's all they worry about because the drill itself is doing the coaching. And that's why uh, the results are amazing at the minute and I got, Two particular case studies when I was in India that show it does work. Um, Hopefully it it will uh, take on in the world. But again, it's because it's seen as a a strength and conditioning method. uh, I think technical coaches will shy away from it. But hopefully with in the bowling family, they can see my work and then uh, any athletic uh, development with other sports they can see your work which i can see you do a lot of it and obviously alex Natera does a lot of it as well and it's you and i know it's it's a great training tool
0: you're listening to the just Fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah i um i think that it's it's definitely I think it's the pendulum swings, and I think it's sw- it's definitely on the upswing right now. But it's like every time that pendulum swings, I think people know a little bit more about why they're doing it, and everyone wants to know why they're doing something now. But something so simple as isometrics, people often would just blow it off. They're like, "This is too easy. This is just what the old school people did." And I, I there is so much to it. I uh and and uh, could you actually explain a little bit too? And I think and just like what you said, I think that people are starting to use it. Uh, where it is crossing it's almost like somewhere in the middle of strength and conditioning and, and technique practice it's almost like and and you know with all the silos that we tend to have you know we got the sport coach and the strength coach and and maybe part of it is just because those silos are often so encased i was even thinking um this last month when i was when just after alex Natera put out um his article and then uh i saw um Uh, a video on instagram that someone had put it was a sprinter in blocks and they were they just had a a cord behind them and all they were doing was just pushing as hard as they could in their start position isometrically against the blocks i was like wow that's genius i was like i could do that with swimmers sprint starts because we kind of try to do similar stuff in the weight room but it's not really and so yeah i think it's just a great bridge uh really interesting what you're doing there
1: Yeah, it's because those days are are dying, I think, where you're a technique coach, you're a technical coach, you're an S&C coach. Know that they're all interlinked. You have to have knowledge of them all. Uh, Why my technique, uh, why my stuff works at the minute, and, you know, I have about four or five bowlers, good case studies out there that have actually changed technique, some of them in a day, some of them in weeks I'm in four weeks um, because I overload technique I make it harder you know I, and the, the ultimate thing for me is to achieve uh, stability in the three main attractors of fast bowling and it's something I, I've studied and and come up with and and then is to eliminate the muscle st- muscle sl- slack and train the core contractions around those three key nodes, and they are hip-shoulder separation, contralateral extension of the of the upper limbs, and brace-front leg, and drop-and-block isometric work, whatever, level one uh, yielding, where they've, got, where they've got to hold it for 90 seconds. Uh, from there, then, I would add chaos. So then I'm making it harder by creating... Uh, by creating feel by feeding the mistake, if I pull it one direction so the body organizes itself um, I add variability, I add chaos fatigue by just in actual in an isometric uh, in a isometric training session and then it becomes harder then when they have when I get force plates and they've got to push as hard uh, through the floor as possible you know you can, they can produce fifteen percent more force uh, with isometric training and the training has to be in my in my mind i might be wrong has to be harder than that they play so do you know when the people do depth jumps which i do a lot of it's seven times the body weight ground reaction force but with isometric drop and block i call them you know you can 10 to 14 times Uh, so in a game on front foot contact, when you deliver the cricket ball, there's about eight to nine times your body weight of force going through it. So if I can train my bowlers to be stable uh, eliminate muscle slack in uh, in training through isometric training, then you know I, I'm on a winner, I think.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think there's so much um especially the specificity behind it. I mean, if you're going to find that key attractor, that creep that key position and overload that position and you're seeing increase on the force plate, uh, that, I think that's definitely something that's really special. I'd like to actually go into one Maybe one of those specific attractors that I think a lot of our listeners can certainly resonate with, even those who might not be coaching or working with athletes who are who are in the throwing category. But that braced uh, front leg block, I think that that also has some ramifications, even to single leg jumping in a way. There was, I mean, I was the guy. I was the guy who was the high jump javelin combo <laughs> in uh, in college. I did triple jump too, but um, and then uh, as well as um, as javelin throwing, track and field. I think that's a uh, just a really unique and interesting position where that, that front leg has to come down very rigidly. And I know in javelin throw, when I was coaching that man, there was so many people who just had the worst time getting that leg to do that. <laughs> and I wish I could have talked to you back then. Cause I didn't do it very well. And so could you explain just a little bit, maybe we can use that as an example or a real something to really dig into on how, how is that setup, what does that setup look like? I can definitely share uh, bits in the show notes. I know I've seen your videos of it. But what does the setup yeah. look like? And then maybe specifically with that motion, how are you overloading that over time?
1: Yeah, well, this, uh, it's interesting, really. It's So if I take it back to my, my stuff is heavily technical, uh, technically driven um so there are um six kpis for for fast bowlers uh they run in quicker they have a longer delivery stride uh they brace their front leg they heal contact they delay their upper body um and what was the other one i forgot the other one but so that's where my training ultimately comes back to and to get Uh, A long delivery stride, and I will get to your point now. To get a long delivery stride, which ultimately will cause uh, a front foot block, is the back foot contact. It all starts on back foot contact, and it all starts from having a stiff back foot contact because uh, then that activates the crossed extensor reflex where the opposite leg will do... uh, the contralateral leg will do the opposite to what the ipsilateral leg does, and then that will then reach forward with. So, if it's a stiff contact on back foot, we don't want any slack. We don't want any sort of collapse on the back foot. Um, but then that comes back to fibre makeup as well. So it's it's an intricate business mm-hmm. to coaching fast bowlers. Uh, and so, if it's a soft, so if it's a stiff contact, the front leg will extend forward into a heel contact uh, and then brace front leg so if it's if it's a soft or heavy or long contact on back foot um, what happens is the center of mass goes forward before uh, the base of support and with that then that activates the stumble reflex which causes the lead leg to come down quickly into a short delivery stride. And obviously, that your torso is over that front leg, and the knee can't cope with that; it will collapse. So there's so much that will that is stems from back foot contact, and then that comes from eliminating. Uh, well, just training correctly uh, on back foot contact. You know, it's we we train uh, everything we do in the gym, in the weights room, and it has a place. It has. Um, but it's not the be all and end all for me. Everything we do is trains the stretch shortening cycle where the actual, uh, the implement or the squat, the bar does the training for you. You know, it does, Mm -hmm. it it adds the weight so we activate the stretch shortening cycle, but that doesn't have, um, stretch shortening cycle has no time to impact on bowling. You know, the stretch shortening cycle takes 0.25 seconds or on on back foot contact on fast bowling, it takes 0.0 seconds to go from back foot to front foot. takes zero point one two seconds, and from front foot contact to delivery takes zero point one seconds. So it's no stage, as the muscles got time to store energy. So it's it's everything is in the tendon and the elasticity in the tendon. So what happens with uh, bowlers? So those I, I was one of them. My action was a car crash, to be honest but mm-hmm. <laughs> but my by, but my biomotor qualities actually masked over a lot of my uh, kinematic flaws really. I was really strong, I was really athletic, so I was a pro rugby player as well. so I sort of masked some of it, but I hit the ceiling um so so that's why technique everything stems from from technique. Uh, So that's why before, when they're young, it's when we do the technique, when the brain is really plastic. So before 11 years of age, I would do lots of technique. And then during the peak out velocity, uh, so so between sort of 12 and 14 for boys, I would then start doing lots of ballistic, lots of uh, actually weighted ball bowling and stay away from technique and that adolescence awkwardness. So it's having that understanding about everything. That's what. That's why I'm passionate about all coaches having so much knowledge about everything. So in terms of uh, going back to your original question, I would use isometrics uh, in that locked position, but ultimately, so you have to push down, and then you're training the core contractors around the knee joint, but the only thing... That the bowler has to worry about is pushing through the heel. The, the angled boxes are actually doing, making sure that they don't collapse, and then they're pushing that for about eight to ten seconds. If it's um, an overcoming isometric, then they would rest and they would do that probably four or five times. And with time, then um, I, I wouldn't go any longer than than sort of eight seconds with it. If to overload it further. I would then put weight on the bar and, and it does work then. It, it, it sort of, uh, it does make a difference. I've had, I put some pictures of, up, I've had two or three bowlers uh, bracing their front leg, but ultimately uh, it goes back to uh, the start, to go back to the initial process. When you look at a bowler, the first, uh, there's a layering process can they repeat the action Um, can they get into the position can they hold a position and can they exert maximum force from that position so it's a layering process so at the start can they repeat the bowling action we know what the key performance indicators are and the three attractors for bowling can they repeat it if not why can't they Is it a hardware? Is it a motor learning issue, or is it software? Is it due to uh, sort of failings in certain parts, certain muscles, or lack of mobility? More often than not, um, the the bowlers that I I find that work with me are around 12, 13, 14. So it's never a motor learning issue because they can bowl, so they can coordinate uh, their arms and their legs into a bowling action, I get some who actually double hop and bowl off the wrong foot, then that is a hardware issue, so they need rewiring as such, so then that comes down to basic kinetic chain drilling where they actually just go slowly, manipulate the time on the actual drill. Uh, the key sequence of fast bowling, back foot contact, front foot contact, delivery, follow through, and those four nodes, then you just drill it and manipulate the time. But that happens very rarely. Um, so more often than not, it's a corrective strength issue uh, or a skill stability issue. So this And that's when then you train, train the floor. There's a difference between it floor and idiosyncrasy as well. The floor will stop you hitting those three main attractors. Uh, and the main, I would say 80% of bowling flaws in the world stem from back foot contact because they land so heavy on it. Their heel touch, which is the main thing I look for, if their heel touches, they're on the back foot too long. And then that puts the whole sequence out of sync. Uh, They haven't got time to separate the hips and shoulders. So if they haven't got time to separate hips and shoulders, by the time the front foot lands, um, it's just going to be an up and over motion with the back leg, uh, and they've got no power from their hips. Um, And then, so ultimately, uh, you have to hit those three attractors. But there's two choices I would make as a coach. Obviously, in discussion with... With the bowlers, uh, based on their what I see, they can either change their training to reduce muscle slack, or they can change their technique to u- utilize the power potential in their muscles. So the static bowlers, those strong, bulky bowlers, uh, when they land on back foot, they will sink a lot because they they're using they're allowing their muscles to store energy, so they sink a lot. And again, you mentioned it before about the size of the Achilles tendon as well, which I found awesome. And I, I looked into that and actually look at the size of the Achilles tendon of some of my bowlers now. Mm-hmm. Um, so then so then the bowler has a choice to make. So if, they, if they're static bowlers, they need to be lever bowlers. So they need that long arm pull, the slingers as such. They need... To give their bodies time to stack up they very rarely will hit the attractors but their biomotor qualities will pro- will get them through it um, or in my eyes most bowlers need to train differently they need to eliminate uh, muscle slack and become more elastic we know we've seen these javelin throwers these bowlers who uh, are really really thin and just bowl rapid and that's because all the tendons and do the work for them, and they're really elastic. Um, it's it's a fascinating fascinating job I have, and that's why I I love helping young bowlers because everyone is different. Everyone has a a limiting factor, and it's identifying what their flaw is, and then um, making a plan to uh, sort it out
0: you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah working with athletes is uh probably one of the the greatest puzzles that i think uh can be solved and one of the most enjoyable uh means and it's just like listening the way that you go about it it sounds like uh it's almost like you're 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 putting the puzzle together with a little bit more information, <laughs> and you're able not just having to guesses. It's almost like uh, so many people. It's almost like you're trying to put it, the pieces together blind, and knowing the attractors and how one movement links to the other is really helpful. I I can't help but always think too, um, just how you uh, just how you mention uh, people uh, coming short on the front foot or throwing off the wrong foot. It's like you see that so much in javelin, and, yeah. and not to keep it going back to that, but uh, it is it is certainly interesting uh, no doubt uh, and one of the as well as too, the universality of having stiffness in the ankles and if you're not stiff in the ankles it really does change everything like throwing jumping sprinting whatever you do pretty much whatever you do on the ground it's going to impact the technique and everything upstream i think that's something that hopefully people are becoming more aware of is is how having sloppy ankles is going to make things like yeah your body has to take more time to do everything else yeah definitely uh, question. So, uh, just following up to, uh, on your, you're talking about functional isometrics. You mentioned you used to do Christian Thibodeau's, uh, uh just in working with regular strength back in the day, back in the two thousands and that, and I, I agree. I, I think that that is just such a lost art in, in building real usable, uh, athletic strength alongside other, other means. But, um, what is your take on the balance of, of general strengthening methods, and this is something I have always thought of. In in that you know, with the, the Franz Bosch methodology and the technical enhancement, how does that sit with general strengthening methods for you? So, for like just general squats, deadlifts, um, yeah, possible Olympic lifts. How does that go in parallel, or does that work with what you're what you're doing?
1: It's so I I come up with um, my own fast bowling training pyramid, but it's basically a tape from Bondichuk. All my stuff is Bondichuk and it's, it's vertical integration. So every single bowler that I coach will do uh, a CE, SDE, and GPE. They, they will do it. It's just the, uh, the training age that determines um, how long we spend in each tier. Every bowler uh, that I train will bowl in their training session. Uh, and I and I find that extraordinary that they uh, that I, I'm seen as the maverick in that uh, it's like well they're a bowler they need to bowl uh, and then if we follow down uh, down the pyramid and general strength is really important it's it just builds uh, resilience robustness structural integrity and gives you uh, a foundation. Uh, a foundation to transfer power uh, and bowl uh, maximum spin, maximum velocity. That's ultimately what I'm trying to do. Um, So I would do your, well, actually, I I do tests. So if if someone was to come in to me now uh, tomorrow, first thing I would do is do a fiber makeup test with the 80%, so see how much fast twitch fibers they have. If they, uh, if they haven't a lot, I might uh, focus on their batting or spin bowling. No, not really. I, yeah. I try and improve everyone. Um, to see whether they're static or spring as an athlete. So I would do depth jump into a long jump or just a standing long jump. Uh, then I would see it, static or spring as a bowler specific. So they would stand and bowl and I will speed test them. Uh, or they would drop and bowl off a box to see if they can util- utilize uh, the spring the stress shortening cycle um and then I would do test their biomotor qualities, so I would do low body strength trap our deadlift um yes, the youngsters might do some goblet squatting, but I'm not a big fan of uh, overloading uh, putting stress on stress on the spine to be honest it's yes, I know the value of squats but I'm not sure if you're a fast bowler and you have a bad back, then you're not bowling. You're not feeding your kids. You're not paying the mortgage. Ultimately, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and straight straight bar deadlift is is a, definitely a no-no. Um, so I would do trap bar deadlift. They need to be able to do their two times their body weight for me to cross that off as not being a limiting factor. Upper body strength. They would do chins or pull-ups. They need to be able to do 15 full hang because um, the front of the body for me are the accelerators and the back of the decelerators. So this is where it gets triphasic. I would actually uh, do front of the body, mainly isometric work, ballistic work, shock work, actually. And then in the back of the body, so your hamstrings, posterior chain, uh, rear delts, lats, um, lots of eccentric work and lots of overload, negatives, and just general, general strength. Um, and then the other thing benchmark I have is lateral power. So, lateral speed skaters, they need to be hit in around 2.4 meters on that. Uh, each side, we've got to make sure there's no discrepancies. Mm-hmm. And then a big one for me is the upper body ballistic. So, I do um, a shot pass in a drop and block position, so I would get the the pyramids out, the blocks out, and then they need to be hit in 2.5 metres per second on that one. And then I know that's, those are taken care of, so let's not dwell on it. Let's not increase the strength deficit. Uh, they've got the foundation. Let's now go and train them to ultimately what's going to make the difference, and that is uh, weighted ball bowling, Uh, Lots of medicine ball bowling lots of stuff that positively transfer and so for me General strength is what it is. It's general strength It's ultimately not going to impact positively on them bowling the ball quickly It will it will give them the potential ability to do it But it's not going to make them bowl quickly. What's going to make them bowl quicker more effectively and efficiently is bowling, uh, and I and I'm a big fan of uh, weighted ball bowling. I'm actually using a new product now called Exogen, which has uh, weights on key positions, key part of the bowling action, and you can use it as corrective strength because uh, it's a teardrop shape, is a belly and a tail, and the belly actually grooves the technique taking it back to subconscious coach, doing the grooving for you. Um, It's some amazing products out there. Nick Winkleman, I think, uh, endorses it as well. It's called Exogen. So anything uh, that overloads the full or part of the bowling action, um, I would do. But I'm actually toying at the minute, uh, and I don't know this. It's probably more intelligent. Well, I know there's far more intelligent people than me gonna be listening, um, and might disagree with me. But that middle bit, you know, I, I don't I don't know, you know, the the speed strength, the strength, speed part. I don't know its value in uh, sports performance. Um because ultimately it's still really slow. So it's not gonna impact on the cricket ball. So for me it's about getting the basic muscles that are used in fast bowling, generally strong with a good foundation, uh, triphasic, eccentric, isometric, eccentrically all strong, and then bowling, bowling-weighted balls. I, I don't know. That middle bit Maybe just overloading the CNS without any need. Uh, it's, it's the same thing with um, energy system work, you know, that the glycolytic... Pathway in the middle is is I think Charlie Francis was of the same opinion, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, the
0: intensive tempo and those all those middle ground things.
1: Yeah, it was. So for me, it's about being fast and staying out there all day. So that's oxidative and ATP energy system. But I'm just toying with some different ideas at, at the minute. But the, my programs are bond heavily, bondage uh, focus, uh, French contrast uh potentiating clusters clusters is a big part so i would do uh six rep clusters actually sorry three rep clusters so a heavy isometric bench incline bench press for four seconds i would walk and bowl uh, a heavy cricket ball then walk back and do that six times so that's really specific um uh, because clusters uh, sits well with bowling because bowling is actually a, a cluster in itself. Um, single leg strength, I, I don't know about I was thinking about this earlier. I wouldn't add variables to training as such. I wouldn't add uh, lots of variability to basic strength exercise. I add variability to my technique. Because ultimately, that's where variability will occur through fatigue, or or whatever, or environment, or organismic, or organismic, or task constraints. Um, I just want to go to the gym and get the muscles that I use for bowling strong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <simple> as-
0: <laughs> yeah. I I like that you said that too. With like the whole like speed, strength, and sp- strength, speed, and all these categories. And I was just, I was literally just thinking of this this week, I I believe, especially in starting to do some more of these isometrics is like, if you're, if you're just training the muscles and not the movement, if you're just doing a deadlift, you know, a hex bar deadlift or a bench press or something like that, the need to, I'm like, I I was thinking, you know, in context of getting the tendo, out, it's like, well, I'm not going to get the tendo out unless I'm doing something that's maybe more specific or something that's faster or something that's, or or then or even in where you're going using just the constraints of the technique itself that's that's really fast. I mean, I mean bowling itself is kind of velocity. You could even call it velocity-based training. How fast did you throw?
1: and, okay, and everything exactly, yeah. goes there. The the most specific thing uh, <clears throat> to to bowl is to bowl with just a slightly heavier or slightly lighter bowling, uh, a slightly lighter ball, and that's why. Most of my training revolves around over/underweight implements. That's what I'm seen as, as the guy, the weighted ball guy. (laughs) But just picking a weight by picking a weighted ball up and bowling it, I see these six-week studies and stuff. It's not. uh, That's not going to work. The actual. The I don't blame the concept, blame the program design of these research because the the weighted ball is actually. Uh, the icing on the cake you have to earn the right to get there So you have to be generally strong, but not Arnold Schwarzenegger strong or a strongman strong or a rugby player strong because force equals mass times acceleration and mass actually is really important for a rugby player, but it's not for a cricketer so it's so I use uh, four methods of weighted ball bowling max velocity I actually weight, use weighted ball bowling as a strength skill. So, like an Olympic lifter will do an 80% range, I do that with weighted bowling because it grooves the technique. It, it it's a biomechanical mapping and it, and it works brilliantly. I put pictures on social media where people can see the technique change, in, you know, in an hour. Uh, but the key point is when you do technical change. There reaches a point, the ceiling where they can work at. So for me, there was a bowler uh, last week uh, who collapsed his front leg. So I, I didn't tell him we were working on it. I ha- he arrived two weeks ago. I I wasn't going to make it make it a conscious thing for him that he collapsed his back leg, but every drill we did, he had to brace his front leg. So now he bowled. He bowled sort of around the eighty percent mark and. And Bondi was big on this mark, about 80%. He thought that anything below 80% doesn't it transfer in terms of technique. So I try and work around the 80% mark. That's why Olympic lifters do a lot of 80%ers, don't they? Um, and he, he came – he bowled from about five or six meters and braced his front leg, and his dad was on the phone. This is unbelievable, within two weeks or whatever. But then we bowled – I did – I did an ox- oxidative bowling session with him, with him two days ago, and actually you can see he he still collapses his front leg, but it's actually less. Yeah. So I know now that that at that intensity and that fatigue level, he can't brace his front leg. So we need to take him back, overload him on the ten meters. Maybe he can wear the oxygen suit or the weighted vest. Uh, and then soon as he, so it's just taking it a step back, increasing intensity all the time, and that's why I think people go wrong when they do technical change. They expect to go from unskilled, unconscious to skilled, unconscious. In, yes, <laughs> in two days, and it's people learn it different ways, you know, audio audiovisual, kinesthetic, of and it's it's finding out what works for e- each one. And I'm I'm big on the dynamic system theory, you know, and Again, I put pictures up there of one bowler I had uh, with the intention action model. He he wanted to look like Brett Lee, who's probably biomechanically the best bowler that's been. And he, it's amazing. We gave him a start point, uh, and his body self-organized uh, and found the way, and it looks exactly like it, and he hits those three attractors. For him, he's hit the ceiling around 78 miles per hour, so ultimately his limiting factor is his uh, physicality and his biomotor qualities which is why he hardly does any technique work now it's um very heavy driven in the weights room but getting generally strong not yeah i don't know i might be wrong with the whole olympic lifting and the i've done it i've done the west side, west side i've done the conjugate system um uh, but i don't know it didn't make me bowl quicker the only thing that made me bowl quicker was actually being really athletic, really generally strong. I was actually at my light test uh, and bowled a of weighted balls and did a lot of SAQ, like parachute running, hill sprints. So my career is a great example of how to train, really, yeah. and how not to train.
0: You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, rugby. Oh, a, str- a big, strong rugby guy who's who's also bowling. You would think that, yeah, your your general strength is through the roof. So the more athletic and reflexive, and coordinated you get, the that that that's the output.
1: Yeah, you should have been with me twenty years ago. Look, I might have had five more years career.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just it is really fascinating how is how you're putting all these skills together. I, I was gonna say I actually wanted to go back. Um, uh, just quickly too, I what you said, the cluster training, I thought that was really interesting. You had mentioned doing the, the bench press and then going and, and bowling and bench press. And I, 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 the more I've kind of, um, getting into isometric stuff or at least just max motor output stuff that doesn't have a much of a muscular, you know, soreness cost or a fatigue cost. I mean, it's just, it is so effective to go back and forth between a skill and, and that type of neural output or, or use it as a potentiator. It's, uh, I think there's such a big world there and it was really cool to hear you mention how you did that with your your bowling and and that basic upper
1: body and it's and it's uh smaller that window that transfer window the better so uh, for me there's one sort of technique i use as well for grooving skills so i would get them to uh that is one where if someone lacks sort of uh elasticity or power or just looks quite lethargic and heavy in their arm speed i would potentiate with an isometric incline press before every ball and that ball might be bowled to a batsman so it might be live practice to make it even more specific but i actually get the bowlers uh, down on the boundary so outside the field actually grooving hip shoulder separation where, a ja- again, javelin throwers do it a lot, where the coach holds their arm behind in the long arm pull. So they would actually, it's a called a wall drill, where they stand against the wall, so the wall is a constraint, and so the upper body will stay side on, and they're just trying to separate the hips and shoulders. So they do that about 10 to 20 times. Uh, I'm big on Dr. Yes's one one times 20 at the minute as well, which forms my gpe part of my bondage pyramid but so they would do 20 reps of that and then they would go into bowl so that pattern that that map is still in there and then so they bowl a ball and they still remember that so that's that's why i i still still fail to understand why why athletes don't do their skill in a in a training session Uh, i just find it find it bizarre really and Complex training is a big part of my program, which is why uh, it's always complex training, you know, your, your squats, your jump squats, your, and then into a bowl or whatever. The only difference is as it gets closer to the season, it gets specific. So it's, um, it, it has to be, it's the body's a complex system and everything needs to be trained at once, in, in my opinion. Yeah.
0: I, along with that too, I have a story that, um, and that leads me to another question. I was going to ask you, uh, on the list is you had mentioned, yeah, having athletes do a a, a drill to catch the feeling of what they're supposed to, um, do in their, in their sport. And then you kind of supersetting that with, with the actual sports skill. Like, so you're doing the hip, hip separation, and then they're doing the fast bowling. And I used to coach javelin like that with my, with my college athletes. We, I would, if they did a throw in competition, even I wouldn't, I would be more likely to say, Hey, just do this drill before you go throw again. Don't, you know, yeah. instead of just saying, Oh, do that next time or do this next time. Just cause I wanted them yeah. to feel it, not put it in their front of their mind. And, and I always felt like that worked pretty well. Um, and, and the question I wanted to ask you is what is your take on, uh, like cueing and when to say things? And you even mentioned too, with the athlete, like who had the, the front leg that wasn't braced you didn't yeah. tell them that it was that it wasn't doing that. Like, and just the more I, you know, the more I get into the the whole technical side of things, the more I am aware of when to not put something in an athlete's head about something they're doing. So, could you kind of go into that? When to say things? When to put things in athletes' heads? Um, how do yeah. you approach that?
1: So all of my drills. So between the skilled, conscious, so they can. Uh, they can do the drill itself so they can hit the key points in the bowl in action, but they think about it. So it, it, it still remains at the front of the lobe where cognitive thought process is very high. So it becomes clouded and, you know, it's uh, there, you know, they can get the yips, it's called in cricket. and So I need to take it back towards the aft brain as quick as possible. Uh, so what I do, this is where... Drills come in and they lock them in place. This is where constraints training is essential uh, because Otherwise bowlers fall bowlers drop out and think you're a rubbish coach or whatever (laughs) So, So there's only I only give one conscious cue on anything I do So every exercise is one conscious cue and then the drill itself does the coaching for you. It locks you in place. And then pro- by providing uh, knowledge of results, whether it's a speed gun, I always speed gun my bowlers. I don't, I don't know, because that ultimately is my KPI. Mm-hmm. Are they bowling quicker? Mm-hmm. I don't care if the bench press is going up. Are they bowling quicker? So, and then, so the main thing, main conscious cue often is heel contact. Because... If they heal contact, I guarantee there's a long delivery stride. And if there's a long delivery stride, I guarantee that front leg is going to be braced. So by focusing on one kill, I'm hitting three uh, three attractor, three nodes in the bowling action. Uh, and that's where but understanding then how bowlers learn it is is really important as well. Let's say if they're audio. Uh, audio learners, I would actually just leave them bowl, and not give them any. I would use as few cues as possible, and all, and always uh, talk to them in their rest period. But then I would only give one conscious cue. Um, it, it is, it is a, a fascinating part of coaching is how we learn, uh, and ultimately, it's it's what it's about. Bowling is technique. It's less to do with physiology, but more to do with biomechanics and the, and the sequencing and the uh, the timing of everything.
0: Yeah, it makes me think about in the the latest Franz Bosch book. It was uh, about it was kind of talking about the centrifuge model and like it was kind of like the faster your athletic movement is, the more all the muscles have to be working exactly as as their length t- tension functions would would have them. <laughs> but if it was slower. Like a real slow movement, like maybe like lifting a strongman, a stone in strongman, you can get away with, you can get away with a little bit of like a sloppiness or different types of movement, so to speak. <laughs> so, yeah. I just it is it makes and bringing it back. I guess yeah, with some of the Franz Bosch stuff, just makes me think about how important that technical accuracy is and, and everything that you are doing to make sure that's the forefront of, of your model.
1: This this um, technique uh, underpins everything for me, and ultimately there are five um key components for for an ish, efficient bowling action uh, and that's range it needs to be a large the larger the better you know it, but actually with a large delivery stride are they strong enough to cope with that because sometimes they're not strong enough to cope with a large delivery stride uh, and it's the sequencing uh, it's the separation you know 80% of bowling speed comes from hip shoulder separation but some bowlers are front on or some bowlers, so they wouldn't get hip-shoulder separation, so they need to make that up in momentum. Are they getting enough momentum in their run-up? If not, why? Are they not getting momentum because they lack the athletic ability? Um, and then speed, obviously, the quicker the separation, the better. Use the, Utilise the hidden natural force multiplayer, the natural lever in the body. And then the alignment. The alignment is so important um hips that your feet have to land under your hips and as a former javelin uh, or current javelin coach whatever um it's the understanding that your feet have to be underneath your hips to deliver or throw the javelin deliver a cricket ball but because there's the lack of that understanding And actually, the lack of appreciation of back foot contact and the stiffness and the utilization of the crossed extensor reflex, Um, most bowlers bowl on a straight line uh, uh, and actually have so much uh, back problems due to lateral flexion, which can be corrected by just simply focusing on back foot contact and providing uh, the correct cueing and the Uh, stages of motor learning so it's um it's i I keep going back to it it's just a fascinating world sports performance and especially fast bowling because it cannot all be built in four walls it it cannot all be developed on a field it cannot all be understood in the computer room it's all encompassing and it's about uh, a hybrid of all of them which is your performance coach, and that's why I follow James Smith very, very uh, avidly. I think he's a brilliant mind.
0: Yeah, that's it's it is fascinating, and it's so it's so integrated um and and just uh just listening to what you're doing i think that the heart of it all has such heavy implications for pretty much every sporting sw- skill especially the the complex ones i mean i guess they're all complex skills right um yeah. but uh but it's just it is such a fascinating thing i think it's something that's definitely ideas that are pushing the field forward uh i just have a couple last real quick thoughts or questions um you mentioned oxidative bowling and i and i was it was interesting to me because i saw your video of it and i was thinking hey I mean, this is kind of like uh, Jeremy Fisher's two-minute drill in track and field, where he has someone do triple jump and then jog back and go from five steps and do it again for two minutes. Uh, and uh, I was curious what your what your drill uh, was in there in the oxidative bowling and what you're looking to get out of that.
1: Yeah, it's um, so for me that so, um, oxidative system uh, is the foundation of uh, the training programs of fast bowling, just like strength is. Uh, It's the base of that pyramid. Uh, So ultimately, one ball in cricket, sort of with the extra energy expenditure of the delivery, should take about eight seconds. And then you do six of them. so And then between each walk back would take 30, 40 seconds. So in all, I've worked out that one over would take... Is about forty to fifty seconds of ATP work, as such, and an on an over takes three to four minutes at bowling and walking back. So what I'm trying to do is build in that resilience, build in that oxidative system. Uh, building the red blood red blood cells because bowling is unique because you're out there all day and you're out there for five days in a week, so you need the recovery system to be working uh, efficiently. So what I, what I'm thinking at the minute, and it's I've only just been doing it the last couple of years. So it's I do an oxidative bowling session where they bowl for two to four minutes. They wear heart rate monitors to make sure they're between 140 150. Um, and if they're not, I drop them off. I slow them down. So it is important in there because uh, bowling is very stressful. The amount of force is going through it. But like James Smith, uh, reading his uh, dynamics, governing dynamics of coaching, said even um, oxidative system and the energy system needs to be specific. These bowlers who sit on a bike to do some. The dreaded conditioning word it's not transferable it has no bearing whatsoever you're not doing the same it's not the same kinematics same kinetics it's just totally different so but I've got to be careful because of the workload I got to manage their workload because it is quite stressful so they would do that for three to four minutes bowl uh, pick the ball up jog back Bowl, pick the ball up, they would do that non-stop. Then they would have a similar amount of time, two to four minutes rest, it's periodized accordingly. Uh and within that rest period they would do some skill work. So they would catch the ball, uh so it's stuff that they would do in a game as well, catch and throw, but really low intensity stuff. And then and then they get an ATP day then, which is just flat out max bowling. Uh, with over or under weighted balls, you know, they do about six to 12 reps flat out. And then I do a high, high low day, hard, easy day. So on a hard day, they would do heavy CNS stuff, which would be uh, strength work or complex work with some weighted ball bowling. And the next day then would be uh, an oxidative bowling, maybe some core high rep stuff. And then they would alternate that then for five or six days. But it's, and then the closer, well, you're a great trainer as well, and it's the success of a program does depend on the planning of it. So when I'm in a highly stressful uh, gym period, highly maximum strength phase, their bowling would be actually very low, in, so it would be oxidative. So it's not doing the same system. But then when I'm in... Uh, ATP phase of bowling where it's about increasing max effort max intent velocity I would actually heavily do isometric training because of the uh, the non-muscle trauma and the high CNS loading but it's actually not very uh, there won't be any fibers torn when they bow yeah, so it's yeah. it's just getting the planning together and Uh, manipulating volume and intensity the problem in cricket is that volume and intensity are often trained together and that's a recipe for disaster
0: (laughs) oh yeah yeah big time uh well that's that's interesting i i think i sometimes forget uh (laughs) being raised here in the states how how uh long those cricket games can be too and 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 building those specific demands and that's interesting what you said too about the specific uh Specific nature of conditioning for a sport as well. Uh, I, I quickly have one last uh, one last question or just thought for you, and that's: uh Is there any uh in putting all this together? And and I I'm I am excited to ask you this because of of everything you're doing, the results you're getting, as as well as too. I think some people when they they look at some of the like uh, Franz Bosch and James Smith ideas, uh, they they say, okay, well, where are the results with some of these things? And so I I wanted to ask you. Uh, is there like a a memorable, or is there a a memorable case study where you were able to help a bowler significantly put a significant uh, amount of uh, velocity on their throw using some? Uh, and obviously, I'm sure you have many, but maybe if there's one that just stands out with great results that you wanted to talk about uh, specifically and some of the things you did.
1: Yeah, well, there's uh, so in simple terms, me. <laughs> People <laughs> forget I was. I actually did my own program because uh, S and C's in cricket were only there 2006, and I've been going since 1990. So every S and C since has left me trained on my own. I, I never, never wanted an S and C to do my program. I wanted control. So if I failed, I was. It was my fault. Um, so in. In 1998, I was a pro rugby player. Uh, I was told not to do any weights because it made you stiff and bulky and it didn't help your bowling. So I didn't do it. I got embarrassed in the fitness test for Wales rugby. So then I thought, right, uh, I've got to get stronger. And the rugby and, uh, sorry, the cricket told me not to get bulky. Then the rugby boys said you gotta get bigger. So I started doing general weights. And by general I mean your bench, your lap hold them, your bicep curls, your squat. And my bowling speed went through the roof that summer. And I thought, hang on, I must be might be on to something here. So I was up to around yeah, seventy eight miles per hour then. And then I hit the ceiling. And I couldn't go past it because technically my framework wasn't very efficient. So I had lots of energy leakage everywhere. Um, so I, I asked for help from SEQ International. And they introduced me to weighted ball bowling. So I did the same weights, just the same base. That's why I get, I'm get i puzzled about where to go with my weight training, really. Um, I did the same weights, basic strength, but I added more running. I added more uh, sprints, and I added weighted ball bowling. I put 10 miles per hour of pace on in two years. That that is that's frightening. So I was mm-hmm. bowling, and the facts don't lie. So I was bowling on TV, and my my average my my uh, my coasting speed was 85, 86, and then when I want to hit it, when everything was right, because. Um, I still wasn't very efficient. Uh, it took me to be on on sync, uh, in rhythm, to bowl quickly. I bowled 89 miles per hour on TV. About two years earlier, I was 80. So I trained myself to bowl quickly. That's why I get passionate about my methods. Mm-hmm. I know they work. Uh, recently... Um, there's Stuart Broad in the Big Bash. It's a big tournament in Australia. Uh, I simply gave him a cue of running in quickly. His one k was lifting his knees. Uh because he was he's a front on bowler with his base. Um he was running in too slowly because he was he was in a test match mode. He hadn't played a lot of one day cricket. Um so he was it wasn't great that the crease didn't have momentum, which meant he fell away. So he ran in quickly and was bowling quicker, uh, vi- visibly quicker. And then another guy. Uh, I've had another two bowlers recently. One of them, um, his back foot was past parallel, and there's no bowler in the world uh, that can that is going to be able to uh, separate the hips and shoulders from that position. By the time that back foot pivots around, <laughs> there's no way it's going to pivot around. By the time the front front foot is down. so he wasn't. He was bowling uh, slightly mixed action, and uh, he no power from hip shoulder separation. So I said to him two things: change your training or change your action. As simple as like that. So we changed his action by doing the same methods that I've spoke about: external cueing, knowledge of results, skill stability. He we did a lot of isometrics in India. We did a lot of dynamic skill stability, where he had bands pulling, uh, pulling his hips through lots of back foot hopping, pulsing uh, to get some elasticity in that back calf muscle, Achilles, and then he went to 45 degree in four days, from probably a 10 meter run up. So that was a huge change. And on the on the other side, then I have a bowler who's at school with me who was a front-on bowler with his back foot, but actually uh, great talent. Um, but he didn't want to increase his run-up. So his run-up didn't wasn't conducive. He didn't get any momentum through his run-up. He didn't feel comfortable with a long run-up. Um, so I said, well, you've got to do either one thing. You've got to run in quicker uh, to get make up for the lack of torque, or we need to change your back foot contact to be in... Sort of 45 degree to get some hip internal internal rotation, which will create torque in the trunk. So he used extra gen. We placed it uh, specifically on his uh, on his calf muscle, so the fusiforms they're called actually groove his technique. And he's developed a pre turn. A pre turn is where the foot uh, allows internal rotation of the hip with with the pivot. And he's now a midway bowler, and he's. Generating more force through torque uh, because of the change in back foot position. So, again, all my stuff are exactly what I've said about. There's no hidden tricks anywhere. It's just knowing how the brain works and and designing a drill that's mix of technique and s and c uh, that locks them in place. It's no, um, it's not rocket science or magic. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think that's the stuff. that stuff that's in between is the stuff a lot of coaches are. It's out of a lot of coaches' comfort zone, so they're afraid to go there. But I feel like the more the more pioneers like you continue to get results with these things, um, the more it hopefully will become mainstream and, and eventually hopefully even in the the educational textbooks and those types of things as we as we get closer to this integrated model. Uh so yeah. really cool to hear what you're doing all the awesome results you're getting as well as the results you got uh in in your own career and I just appreciate really appreciate having you on the show stephanie it just has so many wheels turning on my own end with motor learning and makes me want to continue to learn more and so uh, thank you so much for being on today I really appreciate it
1: No it's a pleasure man and it's actually um it's an honor because I can see some of the trainers you've had on there and um it's it's a huge thing for me to be a, a random welshman to be on the show like this and good luck to it because i think you're doing some amazing stuff over there all right thanks
0: Stefan. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Uh, If you didn't know much about cricket before that episode, I know you do now. (laughs) At least fast bowling and and just the different concepts and skills that go into that, as well as all the things that Stefan is doing to integrate the worlds of strength and conditioning and skill in sports performance. We know that general strength will take us places. But it only takes us so far. And at that point, we need guys like Stefan who are integrating ideas, concepts, who have just such an intimate knowledge of their sport and what they're coaching, and they are pushing the field forward. Again, if you enjoyed the show, uh, don't hesitate right now. Leave us a five-star review, iTunes, Stitcher. We really would appreciate that. Um, I I believe there's some sort of five-second rule. you got to count down from five seconds if you have the thought. If you don't do it in five seconds, it's not going to happen. So uh, if you could do that now, totally would appreciate it. Please do not forget to visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com. If you have sports, technology, equipment needs, training needs, they are the place to go. Check out their store. They have Freelap Timing System, KBOX, 1080 Sprint. Uh, they have EMG Recording Shorts, Force Plates. Really the best in the business. Amazing blog. Check them out, uh, simplyfaster.com. We will see you guys next week with another amazing guest. Until then, have a great one. We will talk to you soon.